I invite you to turn your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20. We're starting today in verse 17. We've been learning together that the Gospel of Matthew is a theological biography of the most extraordinary person who ever walked the face of the earth. We've been learning that the Gospel of Matthew tells us, teaches us, shows us who Jesus really is. We keep saying, what's our phrase for the Gospel of Matthew? Keep your what? Keep your eye on the ball, right? What is the ball? Keep your eye on the ball. What is the the ball in the Gospel of Matthew? It's the identity of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Our passage for today is no different. It's at its center about the identity of Jesus. In this passage, Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 28... Jesus uses his favorite title for himself to teach us about himself. What was Jesus' favorite appellation for himself? What was his favorite title for himself? Does anybody know? The son of... The son of man. That's right, yeah. You might have guessed that it was the son of God, which he surely was. But that's what others call him, including his father, my beloved son. But Jesus liked to use this phrase, the Son of Man, to describe himself. Now, I think he liked that phrase for various reasons. One was its ambiguity. You can fit a lot into that appellation. It could just mean someone who was a human, which he certainly is. A Son of Man is himself a man. In the Old Testament, that phrase is used again and again, especially in the book of Ezekiel, to be used that way. But then also... As a, like a human, 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 son of man, son of man. But also, there's more to that phrase. It's also used to, to describe or to predict the Messiah. Israelite believers who had read their Old Testament prophecies would have interpreted this title, son of man, as a name for the coming Messiah. We see that especially in the book of Daniel. What was the Messiah supposed to be like? If you read your Old Testament, what was the Messiah supposed to be like? Well, listen to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Just listen. Don't turn there. Just listen. Daniel says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days. And this chapter is all about who the Ancient of Days is. It's God, right? We just sang about Him in Immortal Invisible, the Ancient of Days. And this Son of Man was led into His presence, into the presence of the Ancient of Days. He, the Son of Man, was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Wow. That's who the Son of Man is. And Jesus, in the immediately preceding chapter, chapter 19 of Matthew, had said something very similar about Himself. Chapter 19, verses 28 and 29. If you're in 20, you can just move your eyes up the page to... The end of chapter 19, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man, there's there's the phrase, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, 
You have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake, son of man, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. The son of man coming in glory and sitting on his glorious throne and giving away glorious gifts. But, that's not all that the Son of Man is. That's not all that the Son of Man is going to do. It turns out that the Son of Man is going to be very different than what many people expected. Jesus is often different than we expect. Amen? You could never predict Jesus. The more you get to know Jesus and become like Jesus, the more he makes some sense to you. But he's definitely counterintuitive and countercultural. We've seen that again and again as we have studied Matthew, have we not? How about when he describes the kingdom? We say it's an upside down and inside out kingdom, right? It's the opposite of what we would predict. If you sat down and just tried to come up with the kingdom, you would not come up with the kingdom of God. It's got to be revealed to you. In fact, what does Jesus say in verse 30? Right after that prediction of the glorious coming, the glorious throne, the glorious kingdom of chapter 19. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. See, it's not just an upside down kingdom. It's actually a back to front kingdom. It's a front to back kingdom. It's a last to first kingdom and a first to last kingdom. Last week, we listened to Jesus teach about this first and last theology. He told the story of the eccentric employer who was perfectly just and at the same time also amazingly gracious. And he told us that we just need to deal with that fact, to deal with just how gracious he really is. Because in his kingdom, the last will be first and the first will be last. Well, Jesus has some more of that first and last theology for us today. But he kicks it up a notch by showing us how he himself will live out this first and last theology. How the Son of Man will not just come in his glory, he will come in suffering service. Who is Jesus? He is the suffering, serving Son of Man. I would have never come up with that one. If that doesn't blow your mind that he's the suffering, serving son of man, you are either completely sanctified already or you aren't paying enough attention. The suffering, serving son of man. Let me read to you verses 17 through 19 of chapter 20. Now as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he'll be raised to life. Would you pray with me? 
just to think that God, your son not sparing, sent him to die. We scarce can take it in. That on the cross, our burden, he's gladly bearing. He bled and died to take away our sin. Wow. We're going to see that here, Lord. We're going to feel it as we study your word. And Lord, I pray that it would change us. It would reorient us. It would point us in the right direction. It would reset our week and set us on the right trajectory for this week. Because we've listened to your word. Please speak to us, Lord. Use me if you can. Work around me if you must. But speak to our hearts today. We pray in the name of Jesus and the power of the Spirit for the glory of the Father. Amen. I've only got two points this morning, and they're both already in the title. They won't surprise you. Here's the first one. The Son of Man came to suffer. Now, I know we're used to that idea. We've just sung about it. We've prayed about it. We're going to go to the table in just a few minutes to, to celebrate it. But the disciples were sure not used to that idea. The Son of Man, well, He comes in His glory. That's what the Son of Man does. He doesn't come to suffer. But that's exactly what Jesus predicts. Isn't it amazing that Jesus knows what's going to happen to him? Yeah. This is the third time in the Gospel so far, in the Gospel of Matthew so far, where Jesus clearly predicts his passion. Each time he adds a little information that he didn't add the last time. Jesus is on his way up to Jerusalem. We've seen that already. We know what that means. He knows what that means. He's almost there. He knows what's going to happen there. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and said to them, we are going up to Jerusalem. You see how determined he is to do it? And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. Do you hear the verbs? Be betrayed. Condemned to death. Turned over to Pilate. Turned over to the Romans. Mocked, flogged, crucified. Mocked, flogged, crucified. Mocked, flogged, crucified. Jesus knew what was coming. He told him in advance. So he knows he's choosing it. Like, if you go up to Jerusalem, it's mocked, flogged, crucified. That's what's on the agenda. And he says, yeah, I'm going up to Jerusalem. Mocked, flogged, crucified. Now, praise the Lord for verse 19. Because he says, on the third day, he'll be raised to life. He knows that's coming too. He knows that the suffering was the true path to glory. He knew about the resurrection. The last shall be first, right? But he also knew about the cross. He knew about having to put himself last of all. Mocked, flogged, crucified. He took the last place to get the first place. 
When we get to the table today, I just want you to think about these three words from Jesus' lips. What he knew was coming. Mocked. Flogged. Crucified. Now what's really sad about verse 20 is that his disciples were clearly not paying attention. I know because of what James and John do. They bring their mom to Jesus to try to get to be first in the kingdom. They're clearly not paying attention. One of my high school teachers put a meme up on Facebook yesterday. It said, quit saying they didn't teach that in class. They did. You were talking. He's probably right. Jesus taught this. They weren't listening. Look at verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked to favor him of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now, what do you think of that request? Just looking at it. What, what do you think? It's got some good things going for it. Here's one. It's great that she and they believe in the kingdom. Right? And many people then did not believe that Jesus was the coming king. They believed he was the king. Many people today still do not believe that Jesus is the coming king. So they get that right. They believed what he said in chapter 19, verse 28. What we just read. But she says, "Uh, uh, by the way, Jesus, you mentioned these 12 thrones. I was just wondering, you know, if my two sons could be the ones on the thrones immediately to your right and immediately to your left. What do you say? She was trying to use her influence. By the way, it's possible that James and John were actually um, half cousins of Jesus. And this woman named Salome was Jesus' aunt. It's not at all for sure, as the Bible never comes out and says it, but if you follow the names in the Gospels and the relationships of the people, it's possible. So this could be Jesus' aunt trying to get some special favors in, like a good Jewish mother. So what do you say, Jesus? I mean, everybody's got to have a right-hand man. Now, verse 22, truer words have never been spoken. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Now just stop there for a second. These folks have no clue. Yes, they believe in the kingdom, but they're getting everything about the kingdom wrong. Jesus just said that he is going to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. And they're like, yeah, 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 whatever. But can we be glorified? We want to be, you're talking about a kingdom. We want to be first in the kingdom. What do you say? And Jesus says, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? What do you think is in that cup? God, what's that? Mocked, flogged, and crucified. Yeah. Yeah. What do they think is in that cup? Well, they think it's the cup of victory, right? Can you drink from the cup that I drink from? The cup of the kingdom? The cup of victory? Well, sure, pass it over here. Let's, let's all drink. To, I'll drink to that. Hand it over. Verse 22. We can, they answered. But it's not the cup of glory. It's not the cup of victory. It's the cup of mocked, flogged, and crucified. It's the cup of death. 
It's the cup of God's wrath. It's the cup of suffering. When we get to chapter 26, Jesus will ask his father if there's any way that this cup could be taken away from him. Jesus doesn't even want to drink from this cup. You don't know what you're asking. This is the cup of being mocked, flogged, and crucified, and even more, bearing the just wrath of God. See, that's what the Son of Man is going to do. The Son of Man came to suffer. So we shouldn't be surprised if we have to follow in his footsteps. Look at verse 23. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. Here's another surprise. Jesus says that they will drink to some small degree. Kind of just a little sippy cup version from his cup. They too will suffer. Not exactly like he did, but kind of like he did. Sons of Zebedee, did they suffer? What happened to James? Acts chapter 12. Right? Herod with a sword. What happened to John? Exiled the island of Patmos. The sons of Zebedee will suffer for Jesus' sake. And we too should not be surprised when we are called to suffer for him as well. Why do we get surprised? If our Lord suffered, why do we think that we're going to escape that? That's the path that Jesus took. Suffering is the path to glory. Why would we think that we would get there without any pain? But they all did. They all thought that. All the disciples thought this way. Look at verse 24. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. It's because they were so godly, right? They're like, I can't believe you'd ask that. No, I don't think so. I think they're like, oh, rats, I should have thought of that. Should have brought mom in. Maybe we would have got those seats ourselves. They're jealous. Hey, you're trying to take our place. We want to be first. Jesus called them together and said, Guys, guys, guys. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Point number two of two. The Son of Man came to serve. They all want to be first. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You want to be last. Don't be like the world. The pagans want to be lords and authorities and little potentates. But my kingdom is upside down. It's back to front. If you want to be great, you must be a servant. If you want to be first, you must be last. You must be a slave. Jesus says, don't be like them. Be like me. How countercultural Jesus is. How counterintuitive. Nothing has changed, of course. The world still clamors to be first. Nobody runs to the back of the line. 
Nobody lives to die to self and deny themselves. Everybody loves to live for themselves. Think about it for a second. What is the number one thing the world tells you today? Be yourself, right? What does Jesus say? Deny yourself. Die to self and serve others. Of course, this doesn't mean that someone who is in authority no longer exercises authority. Jesus has all the authority and he exercises it. But he does so as a servant. He's the prime example of serving others and putting them above and before himself. And his cross work is the prime example of his servanthood. His suffering is his way of serving Verse 28 is so wonderful. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. He says, Serve others just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Let me say it this way. The Son of Man from Daniel 7 is also the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. He is worthy of the crown of Daniel 7. Because he drank from the cup of Matthew 20. He gave his life as a ransom for many. That for, for many, that means in place of many. Instead of many. A ransom is a price paid for someone's freedom. On the cross, Jesus was paying the price of freedom from sin and guilt and shame. Isaiah 53 says that the suffering servant will be rewarded because, quote, he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus is riffing on that language in Matthew 20. He's alluding to Isaiah 53, and he's saying that he will fulfill it. The Son of Man came to serve. And so we who follow him should choose to serve as well. Here's the big application question for you this morning. Are you a servant? Ask yourself that question. Am I a servant? How can I tell? Would the appellation servant be appropriate for you? Would would that fit on your social media bio, on your Twitter bio? Servant. Facebook. I'm a servant. I'm a slave. Would it be appropriate or would everybody be like, yeah, right, not that person. Matt Mitchell, servant. I wanted to. When was the last time you put yourself, I'm sorry, you put somebody ahead of yourself and you didn't do it to manipulate them? When was the last time you took the last place because you were following Jesus? And being like him. The Son of Man deserved to be served, but instead he served. How much more should we serve the people around us? How could you quietly up your servant quotient today, this week? How could you be more of a servant at home, at work, in the neighborhood, in your church? 
How are you going to apply this teaching to yourself? Because Jesus says, don't be like those other guys. Not so with you. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just like, just like the Son of Man did. What a perfect passage this is for a communion Sunday, isn't it? This cup reminds us of his cup, doesn't it? The cup of suffering. The cup of bearing God's wrath. Mocked, flogged, crucified. Now we couldn't drink that cup. We're going to drink from this one. But we couldn't drink that cup. He had to do it for us. To give his life as a ransom for many. But when we drink from this cup, we're reminded of that cup. And we're reminded of ours as well. We should not be surprised if we suffer for Jesus' sake. He suffered for ours. And this broken bread reminds us of Jesus serving. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a payment for our freedom. A ransom for the transgressors. That's us. Because He served, we are to serve but how he served. Let me read to you Isaiah 53 as we reflect on the meaning of the cross. Would the men come forward? The Son of Man is, of Daniel 7, is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Remember, this was written over 700 years before Jesus was born. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Mocked, flogged, crucified. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. And he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. 
and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence and, no, and there was any, any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. The Son of Man. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. On the third day, he'll rise again. After the suffering of his soul, he'll see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he'll divide the spoils with the strong. He'll sit on his glorious throne and give glorious gifts to his children. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors.